Welcome to the Birth Warrior Podcast. In each episode, we feature the stories of birth warriors, women who have persevered to find their own truth in pregnancy and birth. As you hear these women share their stories of love, autonomy, connection, and power, it is our deepest wish that you will be inspired, empowered, and supported to find your own truth. We are honored these women have stepped forward to share their personal stories and to help us remember that we all have the power to choose what is right for us. The Birth Warrior Podcast is a presentation of the Indie Birth Association and is not intended to be medical advice. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Birth Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Jaden Graham, and on today's show, we have Kezia. Kezia Nagata is a writer, musician, and community organizer living on a homestead in northern BC, Canada. A relaxed first pregnancy and planned home birth suddenly swerved into surprise hypertension, preeclampsia, induction, and hospital delivery. Kezia's story is about adaptation when things go sideways and how she navigated the medical system and her own fears to remain calm and empowered for the best possible outcome. Um, I just wanted to say thank you so much to Kezia um, again for allowing me to record you um, and it was wonderful connecting with you and I hope you all um, enjoy this story. It was a really, really powerful one. Um, A lot of resonance on my end, for sure. And uh, as always, thank you so much for being here. Hi, Cassia. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So wherever you would like to begin your story, please share. Okay. Um, Well, a little context, I guess. Um, my name is Kezia Nagata. I live on Gixan territory in northwestern British Columbia in um, what we call Canada. <laughs> and uh, I live on the homestead in a, a pretty very sparsely populated rural area. Um, so we don't have a lot of access to medical care. It's, it's, uh, it's spread out. We have a town near us. Um, they can't do much. We've got another town about an hour away. And then beyond that, um, we don't have a whole lot of, of medical care. Um, so throughout my pregnancy, um, I was here helping my mom on the farm and um, my husband on the bus we're building. So we converted a school bus into like a two-story um, timber frame cabin. Uh, we were living without water and without um, a bathroom and <laughs> climbing ladders all the time. Um, but like, yeah, staying super active. Um, it was really fun. Um, I have a really birth positive mom and she had us at home when it was like really not a thing to do that. Mm-hmm. And she's always just talked so gently and happily about birth that I've never had like um, a concern about it. So I, I grew up thinking about birth as a normal normal and cool thing. I was never afraid of it. And then since we've had the farm, I've been able to witness a lot of animal births and um, just like really appreciate that physiological process, stay out of it. Um, And yeah, so I went into this first pregnancy really relaxed and really trusting birth and trusting my body and um, like excited, excited for for the birth part. And excited to find out what my body could do. And um, yeah, to just, I kept saying, I want to go to that place where babies are born. Because mm. um, I just kept hearing about, about the, the birthing place, the, the really powerful, inexplicable, transformative place <laughs> where you go when you're birthing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I had access to registered midwives. And here in Canada, we have um, health insurance that covers the registered midwives. And um, there's, there is literally no independent midwives up here. There's nobody who's not embedded in the system. And that really kind of upset me at first, because I just really wanted to have that kind of guidance. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I found Indie Birth and I found the 13 Moons course and I found I started finding information online and, and communities, um, you know, on Instagram and everything. Imperfect. It's not in person, but so much good information, so many things that I could just search and find different kinds of answers to. And, and so I was finding my balance between like these this more sort of structured medicalized checkup system with the with the midwives and then um like my the sort of online access to more natural birth stuff and then just my own intuition and my ability to kind of weigh things out um I was kind of I was wary of of the midwives and (laughs) um and the potential for like intervention Mm -hmm. cascades and I did eventually talk to them about this and started feeling more comfy with them sort of feeling like they understood me more but I always felt a little like had to watch myself and at the same time I didn't want to offend them or or act super arrogant and and kind of lose that one link I had to like proper medical support if I ever needed it um yeah so I had a great pregnancy um nothing was really wrong I had some pain in my hips near the end I had heartburn all throughout um but like these this as far as I could tell that was like perfectly normal (laughs) just Mm -hmm. what people go through in a giant pregnant body um near the end I was starting to get kind of swollen in my face and hands again normal but at 37 weeks my blood pressure started climbing um to kind of like 140 over 90 range and um I didn't know, like I'd never taken my blood pressure in my life before being pregnant. And I didn't know what that meant. But all of a sudden, my midwives were saying, we're not going to attend you at a home birth. You need to plan for a hospital birth. You need to get blood work done. Like this is super serious. And I had no context for it and I felt fine. So it was quite a trip. Um, Two days later, we got the blood work back. My liver enzymes were rising. Mm. and they consulted with doctors so in this system like the midwives have a certain amount of autonomy but basically anything out of the ordinary they have to consult with a specific doctor um but this doctor never met me and didn't actually know me or my story or my body or anything mm-hmm. so the midwives called her they sit me down look me in the eyes and say you have preeclampsia uh, staying pregnant is no longer safe and you need to be induced tomorrow first thing mm. which would involve a trip into the next town um, being admitted to the hospital and starting the whole mm-hmm. process so it's like whoa whoa right. whoa, whoa. Yeah. Um, that's not going to happen I'm not doing that I need more time bottom line is my gut tells me this baby's not ready to come out I'm 37 weeks. I am not a ripe fruit. This is not happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and that alone was difficult. I think a lot of people listening, if they've experienced the medical system, there's just this like general fawning we do to authority. Um, and these midwives are, they're young and they're smaller than me. <laughs> like they're not imposing in any way, but mm-hmm. but there's just this system and we've just been trained our whole lives to kind of fawn to it. So, yeah. so, so it took some work to like readjust my my angle and just say, thank you, but no, thank you. Like I respect your concern. <laughs> I'm hearing you. I'm not I'm not brushing it off, but I don't understand and I cannot make a decision that I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and at this point, I didn't have preeclampsia. Um, so this was the first point at which I felt really confused and because everything I was reading at home was I did not yet have the markers to diagnose me with preeclampsia mm-hmm. I was still just hypertensive and that yeah. from everything I could look at did not constitute means for immediate induction mm-hmm. so that was concerning to me that they were so ready to just send me off <laughs> to mm-hmm. get this done when you know I was still preterm mm-hmm. um and 
And it was also just like this sense of like, this is an informed consent. Like you, I'm not getting enough information to consent mm. in either direction. Like you're not telling me enough about the risks. You're just telling me like you could die. Yeah. And you're not telling me anything about the risks of induction, which are many, although they can control it more and they know that they are very unlikely to actually kill you in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt to me, it felt like the risks of induction were, were more, maybe not more serious, but they were more and higher, more mm-hmm. certain mm-hmm. than, than having preeclampsia and, and carrying to term. So induction was the last thing I expected. Like on my birth plan, I had like, I had C-section, I had stillbirth, I had premature baby, I had everything. I did not have induction because in my mind, the only reason why I would be induced is if I went over 40 weeks, Mm -hmm. I was convinced I would go over 40 weeks because most of my family are late and Mm -hmm. have big babies. Mm -hmm. And I knew there might be some pressure there and I was prepared for that. And it was, it was a giant no, but this was a whole other situation that I didn't expect at all. I didn't even know what preeclampsia was. Um, weird weirdest thing was that like a, a week or so before that we'd been watching Downton Abbey and and the woman in there dies of eclampsia mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I was going oh wow what a like archaic disease like there's no way in heck I have that yeah and uh I didn't know what it was and then all of a sudden here here it was Mm-hmm. Now, Casey, um, I have a quick question. In the in the province that you're, you said you're in Ottawa, correct? Um, no, British Ottawa. Columbia. British Columbia. I'm so sorry. Um, in British Columbia, in in that in, in the laws that are in the in in your in your province, um, as far as midwives, um, uh, do the midwives is it by their regulations that they have to um transfer care if the client um goes past 40 weeks or is it I don't know about that they never told me that um I actually expected like more regulatory stuff more liability stuff but it's actually pretty gentle Mm -hmm. here or gentler than I thought um they told me that for the most part I could birth the way I wanted to and they and they wouldn't abandon me like even if they didn't agree with it Mm -hmm. um but what did happen is I did end, did end up transferred um, because of my condition. Okay. I don't think I don't think we transfer after forty weeks, but that might be an individual call for the midwives. Gotcha. Depending on how confident they feel. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so this was a huge left field. Um, I went home, cried my eyes out. Um, mm-hmm. And I just started researching and reaching out because that's what I do. I'm like, I just need, I just need more information. I have nothing to go on. And I knew, I was like, I know somewhere in the universe, there's like somebody who's been through this and, mm-hmm. and I know there's women who've, who've, you know, birthed without even being diagnosed with preeclampsia who, who ended up having it, you know, and mm-hmm. like, I know it's possible to do, but mm-hmm. I need to find it. And I dug and I dug and I dug and I couldn't find anything in all my home birth and free birth resources. Um, I just wanted someone to tell me it's okay. Like they're wrong and stupid. Don't induce, Mm -hmm. um, carry on. (laughs) But all I found was like, induction is evil. Oh, but preeclampsia is kind of serious. So it's just this like gray area of, of like, don't do it, but uh, I don't know about what you've got. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, So it was, (laughs) that was frustrating. Um, My mom contacted like a really, really well-known um veteran midwife here and she was just like oh you know those that's concerning and uh you should check out the Dr. Brewer Facebook page so I did that and I got um pulled in by the the ladies who run that page and they gave me the emergency protocol Mm -hmm. so for people who are listening who maybe like me don't know anything about um any of this until I went through it um, Dr. Brewer's take on preeclampsia is that it's um, that hypertension is caused by a low blood volume, which is caused by um, not enough protein in the diet, mm. which to me is kind of absurd because I 
I live in a homestead. I, you know, raise and kill my own meat. Like I mm-hmm. am not protein deficient. Yeah. Um, so there's still some kind of holes in that story for me, but mm-hmm. the diet um, seemed to help. It really pulled out my, my blood pressure started coming down. My labs came back normal. My midwives were astounded because in their mind, nobody who becomes hypertensive come like becomes normotensive. Um, they thought for sure I was just on like a one one lane trajectory for um, death and destruction. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of cool to like, yeah, have my, my blood pressure come down. And um, all the while I was feeling pretty good. Um, I was sort of playing with blood pressure medication. Um, my friend taught me lymphatic drainage that helped with my puffiness. All in all, it was like looking better. I consulted with um, Margo from a new birth and my naturopathic doctor. And both of them helped me look at my labs and go, okay, well, this is like of concern, but it's not serious. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not like in a crisis zone right now, which was really what I thought, but I couldn't hear that from the doctors and nurses and midwives. Right. Like they just had like, you're in the zone, therefore you're at risk. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so there is like, I got to find some, some nuance to go on here. Mm-hmm. Um, I still had no symptoms of preeclampsia and I had zero risk factors besides being a first time mom. So this was the other thing that was just like thrown me for a loop. Like I felt pretty much fine. I had no headaches. I had no weird vision. Um, I can't remember what else was on the list, but I just, I was like, yeah, I was not experiencing preeclampsia in my body. Um, and I was kind of wondering like, well, maybe it's relative, like maybe these are all just numerical thresholds mm-hmm. and my body is actually like resilient enough to cope with a little bit of liver damage and a little bit of kidney damage. Like, I still think that's quite likely like that I was actually just compensating for that quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so all this time I'm like, okay, I'm the woman who gets diagnosed with preeclampsia, but I fix it. And then I show everyone that it's possible and like thumb my nose at the medical system. Um, and this started to look like it was happening and I started planning my home birth again. Mm-hmm. And then my urine came back and it was within preeclampsia range. Mm-hmm. Again, because we live so rurally it took days and days and days to send the results out and get them back mm-hmm. um so I still felt okay my my body was still okay but I felt like I was failing um both my body and my baby and everyone who believed I could have a home birth on my own time I felt like I was like a poster child for home birth so what was happening like wh- why why w- why was it starting to look like it really wasn't going to happen Mm-hmm. um yeah so I was considering just dropping out of medical care and taking it all into my own hands I thought about that a lot um I think I regretted ever consenting to medical care and tests because it felt like if I hadn't known I might actually be okay like given how I was feeling physically like if I didn't know I had preeclampsia would I be going through all this stress and and decision-making and everything or would I just be like oh I feel kind of gross the end Mm -hmm. Um, have a baby whatever (laughs) it's fine but at the same time like now that I had gone this route um, even though I'd done it tentatively I now knew something I couldn't unknow and you know like if it was just me I would I would be really able to take that risk like I'm I'm confident in my body and 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 how it communicates with me but having this other whole little person um who couldn't consent either way Mm -hmm. uh in the mix felt like wow I need to make this like it's kind of someone told me like this is welcome to motherhood like this is the first of many (laughs) moments in your life where you're gonna have to make a decision for yourself and your child that like you know isn't fun in either direction and uh yeah. And you can't really know what's best. So, um, it felt kind of irresponsible at this point to ignore what I knew. 
Um, but I was really stuck thinking like, if I, if I give my power away and they hurt my baby, like I'll never forgive myself. Mm-hmm. There's something about like, if I, if I give it, if I, if I was able to give it my all and something bad happened, maybe I could live with that more than if I just like starfish to the, <laughs> to the medical system and, mm-hmm. and like they fuck it up. There's, sorry if I shouldn't swear. Oh, you're totally <laughs> fine. Totally fine. <laughs> um so my strategy at this point was just kind of like avoid wait it out um I'd never even believed in like natural induction I think just like leave everything alone but um I started trying everything just calling that baby out pleading for the physiological birth that I wanted Mm -hmm. um and every time I thought about chemical induction I I wept like I'd, I'd never heard a good induction story at least not before people were due um and that was what was really scaring me was like I was still not feeling due there was no I had no like um Rex and Hicks contractions or anything going on mm-hmm. no indication that baby wanted to come out so um yeah it was really scary for me to think about like forcing someone out of me before either of us were ready mm-hmm. um I'm also someone who gets high off like two Advil um mm-hmm. so I'm not accustomed to or very trusting of medication like I mm-hmm. I respect it as like a, a kind of a really big intervention um it's not a nor- commonplace thing in my life mm-hmm. even the tiny bit of um labetalol they put me on for blood pressure gave me night sweats and chills and headaches and like mm-hmm. I I'd actually gone off the medication so I could focus on just dietary intervention, but eventually I just wanted to try to say I was trying everything. And, you know, so I, so I took that and I had mixed feelings about that. My husband and I were holding on to this like huge weight of what if, because he really wanted me to have the birth I wanted. Um, And he's a much more he's much more trusting of the medical system than I am and was brought up with more positive experience of it. Mm-hmm. And so it was already a big step for him to just be like, whatever you want, we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but he was also like understandably terrified that I could just randomly seize at any moment and he'd lose one or both of us. Um, it's like, thanks to the internet, which likes to tell people scary things like that. Yeah, <laughs> um, totally. And the actual, you know, the actual rate of that risk, I think they told me is maybe 2% of women who are, who are preeclamptic, mm. um, up to 10% of women deal with some form of hypertension or preeclampsia in their, in their pregnancies, which I didn't know for it to are, be such a common. Are you saying 2% yeah. that become eclamptic? You're saying like full eclampsia? Yeah. I mean, yeah. not, so of the 10% cool, but, that might but good to, have, good to clarify that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> of the 10% that might have preeclampsia, 2% of those people might have an actual serious life-threatening for them or baby or both situation. So again, the way I weigh risks, like that doesn't feel particularly high. Like it, it's high enough to, to be aware of, mm-hmm. but it's not like for sure 50-50 going to happen kind of thing. And, um, but it's a really heavy, it's a really heavy risk. Whereas, as I was saying before, like the induction risks are, are certain, like you will certainly face um, a bunch of stuff that is not, not optimum for your body and your baby, um, as well as potential complications. But to me, that felt like, yeah, it was sort of like, less ultimate risk but more volume of risk Mm -hmm. (laughs) to Mm -hmm. like a big scary small possibility Mm -hmm. which kind of evened each other out so it was just this like real roller coaster back and forth um with the midwives and my blood work going up and down and my blood pressure going up and down I had to quit taking my blood pressure because I was so stressed about it Mm um and I could feel there was a point at which my blood pressure started increasing again and I couldn't really get it down. Um, that's kind of when I quit taking it because it was just freaking me out. And it would kind of determine the course of my day, whether or not I got a good reading in the morning. Um, and I could feel my body starting to wane. Like 
like it was this wall with a huge weight behind it and it was starting to give and I didn't know how long it could hold out so I was still holding on to the fact that I didn't have symptoms but I could feel like at any point this could stop working <laughs> like I, I could run out of time and I don't know when that is mm-hmm. um yeah, I was also working energetically to clear like my ego and my resistance. I just, I, I really needed to see a path forward and I couldn't, um, but I could see, you know, one step ahead where you said, let's just take this half a day by half a day. Like what, what's clear and, and what's the decision in this half a day? Okay, we'll go with that. And then um carry on that way so it was really really stressful a lot of tears a lot of um ups and downs um and the whole time I'm thinking in a way this is all psychological like it's just numbers and someone's interpretation of them and those numbers are just a snapshot of some parts of my body at a certain moment and Mm -hmm. we're having all of this emotion and all of this whole experience based on like thoughts (laughs) on ideas and um that was interesting but didn't really help (laughs) it really helped me not feel all of that stuff um so we consented to some non-stress tests and a biophysical profile ultrasound these are all things I was like dead set against Mm -hmm. um but at this point again you're in the system you got to decide how you're gonna play it so um in the end, it was it was really helpful to know that the baby was perfectly fine and a really good weight and everything was just like flying colors. Um, um, but it also didn't give me any more information because if the baby had been in any kind of distress, I'd been like, okay, like, let's do this. Let's get the baby out. But mm-hmm. baby was perfectly fine. So I had no more information to go on. Um, a, a friend of mine gave me this great analogy. He's a river guide and we're, um, this is like river country. And he says, okay, you're floating a river. You've never run before. It's beautiful. It's been beautiful and gentle and sunny until now, but now you're hitting rapids. It's getting rocky. You don't know what else is coming. You can't see around the corner. And all you can do is just like navigate each challenge as it comes and do your best to read the river um and trust your instincts and trust your skills um because you can't get out now it's sweeping you along there's no there's nowhere to bail you have to just ride this through and get to somewhere safe um so at 39 weeks i've now held them off for like 10 days somewhere between 10 days and two weeks um minus 38 degrees Celsius here. Uh, We're heading for a midwife visit and a phone consult with the doctor. And um, the one who recommended that I get induced at 37 weeks, our car starts flashing warning lights, steam starts pouring out of the hood. We pull over and the car just dies. Um, It's like, this is like, you know, like minus 20 Celsius is fine minus 30 is sketchy and like anything mm-hmm. under that just starts to like each degree just feels more and more yeah scary and gross mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're in this like winter wasteland calling everyone nobody's cars will start nobody can come rescue us um finally we did get rescued um by my friend with a great big diesel truck that did start and uh and we get home and we get ourselves warmed up and um just kind of felt like okay some like something was keeping us from going in that day mm-hmm. um nothing was decided but it was starting to feel more and more like we're getting close to deciding to do this induction thing um and that was very much not the day to do it and i was really grateful for that little reprieve because i still wasn't ready to decide to do it yeah. Um, and we talked to this doctor on the phone and she tells me I have help syndrome, um, which is like yet another escalation of, of this whole like world of hypertensive disorders. Yeah. And 
um, it's really serious. Like I hadn't even researched it because I was like, I don't have that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and she walks me through the induction process and uh, uh, like we talk about um, the induction and cesarean rates in our community and um, they're actually lower in this hospital than, than the province. So that gives me a little bit of like a lower rate of um, people that go in for induction ending up in cesarean um, is is lower than the rest of the whole province. And mm-hmm. so that gives me a little bit of confidence um, that there's, there's good care happening. Um, but I'm also confused about this diagnosis and I'm kind of butting heads with this doctor because I keep asking her questions and she seems to be one of those people who doesn't like people to ask them questions and mm-hmm. and question their their um, decisions and their expertise. So I get off the phone and I do a bunch more research and I confirm that I do not have help syndrome, um, that I don't have, I have one of the three markers for it and that marker is not high enough to even count um so there's all these diagnostics and i'm you know digging through them and i'm like well maybe it's different in canada but like i really don't see how yeah how i have this and this is really important because in this rural area i would risk out of community care i'm already going to a a hospital outside of my own community but it's, Mm -hmm. it's still part of the region but if I had help syndrome, they'd be sending me to an ICU, which is 500 kilometers away. It'd be an airlift. Mm-hmm. I'd have, you know, none of the doctors or nurses or midwives or anyone who I know. Um, and I'd be, yeah, in a completely different situation with nobody there to advocate for me. Mm-hmm. So I've now got a doctor consultant misdiagnosing me twice. And had I listened, um, could have resulted in some pretty extreme situations like inducing before 38 weeks or being sent away to birth with strangers like I'm feeling like I'm just getting through this by the skin of my teeth um but now I do have preeclampsia so okay that's still serious um and my midwives hands are kind of tied by this whole system they have to consult with their doctors and um nobody seems to know very much about any of it hence the misdiagnoses Mm-hmm. but I'm being transferred out of midwife care into doctor care now. Um, and yeah, the wheels just seem to be turning and I'm not, I'm not really on the train, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I kind of have to be. Um, and I'm still undecided. I'm still okay. The baby's still okay. But I'm like, nobody can tell me what to do. And this is, this is a realization I hit often in myself. Like I'm very autonomous and I, and I can make a lot of decisions for myself, but you know, like this is why we have doctors. This is why we have, you know, I live on a farm. So, you know, veterinarians, because we can give that responsibility to an expert or even midwives, right? Like it's, it's why we, a lot of the stuff we can probably write out on our own or our bodies can heal or manage, but but it's such a huge responsibility to hold. And so we really want someone else to help us hold that or to hold it for us. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't going to get that, not the way that I wanted. Mm-hmm. I wanted this like mythical, all-knowing midwife who could look at me and say, you're fine, carry on. But instead I had like my whole family supportive, but really stressed out. And for once it, it not being all about me, like I had to consider my husband, my mother, my father, my brother, they're all here. And, and just what it would mean if I chose something outside of our ability to handle. And um, yeah, so it was just, it was just kind of starting to close in on me. And yeah, this very real risk of, of getting worse suddenly um, and getting shipped out of the region. Uh yeah, so it's completely on me, but I didn't like any of my options. If I waited, it could be at this point, you know, I was 38 weeks, like four more, I guess it was 39 weeks, but it, you know, three or four more weeks could very realistically could be waiting with this condition hovering over us. Um, and there's very little emergency support, like I've been saying, 
um, or consenting to induction, which is like, which was still filling me with dread and terror. Um, I was hyper aware of, of the possibility of it ending in C-section and like knowing so many women and children have gone through that and are fine and are thriving, but it was really the last thing I wanted to, to do um, or go through. And because the process of induction can take a long time, my window wasn't like, okay, I've decided to induce, let's do it. It's kind of like, if you don't decide now and you get worse and you haven't started the process, then it's, you know, like it's another, you know, it could be another week before you actually give birth. And anyway, it was, mm-hmm. yeah, this is a, <laughs> a lot of messy kind yeah. of stuff, decisions to hold. Mm-hmm. So I asked the baby, like, can you come tonight? or show some sign that you're going to come, please, or else I'm going to have to start this medical process. Mm-hmm. That's the only way I could stay sane and just like make a decision one way or the other. Um, so the next day, zero signs of labor, we pack our bags um, and we head in. Now, I told you about like the, the extreme cold and the car breaking down and not going in that day. So this is the next day. And now there's a different doctor on shift. Just and he's a different doctor than the one who misdiagnosed me and who mm-hmm. um, I felt would not be very supportive of um, my decisions and my needs. So we go in and we talk. And um, actually, before that, I managed to get in for an acupuncture appointment. And again, like not big into like inducing in any way, <laughs> but trying everything at that point and this woman happened to be trained um, and very experienced in induction techniques with acupuncture so I have a treatment with her she comes in on her day off and and treats me um and I get to the doctor's office and they check me and I'm two centimeters dilated um from nothing earlier that morning Mm -hmm. so that's kind of hopeful um I outline all my needs. I ask a million questions. I tell them all my preferences. Um, they're really great. And, and they tell me they understand like, that this is a whole 180 shift from what I was expecting and planning and hoping for. And they're really actually compassionate about that. And um, they're really receptive to my requests for like, you know, two-step delivery and um, delayed cord clamping and skin to skin immediately and um, everything like that. They're like, yep, that's, that's already what we do. That's already our policy. So, so that for me was a bit of a mind shift because I've been really going into this um, thinking the medical system is just going to bully me. They're going to, you know, try to do all this dumb stuff to me. And it turns out that they've actually evolved a bit, um, at least here where I am. And they're doing a lot more physiological and and evidence-based stuff. So that was a huge relief. Um, And the doctor told me, he's like, you know, if you fight this, it will be harder. Mm -hmm. So, and I knew that. I knew that I had to get to a place of choosing um, and not to be in a victim position. Mm so that I could move through with like less trauma. Mm -hmm. I knew I needed to invite the process in and not resist it, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know if I could until that point. Mm -hmm. Um, So I started to ask my body, just like, can you accept these chemicals? Can we, can we work with them? Can we, can we go somewhere beyond natural and unnatural? And can we just do this? Mm -hmm. So they give me Cervidil, I have a long night of terrible contractions. Um, I eventually get them to take it out in the middle of the night because I'm having like like overlapping contractions and my uterus isn't getting a chance to relax. Um, but I am now at like four centimeters. So my parents arrive, um, my friends are sending me messages of support. I feel surrounded. Um, I have a friend walk me through EFT tapping, like emotional freedom technique. Um, session and she gets me to this place of like wild trust in the universe and that even though my mind thinks this is all wrong that there's some purpose to this and baby and I are empowered beings and our souls know what's up even if I can't know right here and right now Mm -hmm. and I'm like 
not being judged or doubted by anybody who loves me. They're all holding space. And I start realizing like, in, in the more cosmic, like one of my learning sense, if I were to have a natural birth, like I already know that I can do that. I already trust my body. I already know that that birth is a beautiful physiological process. Instead, I get to face my biggest fear <laughs> and walk through it. And that's where the learning is. That's where the transformation is for me this time. Um, another friend tells me, wherever you birth is sacred. Mm -hmm. Birthing makes it sacred. Mm -hmm. So again, like I'm just finding all these layers of my sort of ego building up what's right and what's wrong, what's natural and what's not, what's sacred and what isn't, what's, you know, like if it's not the way I want it to be, then it's wrong. Well, that's not true. <laughs> So at this point, um, a, day, a day goes by, the cervidal hasn't kicked me into natural labor, which I was really hoping for. Um, getting Pitocin, synthetic oxytocin was like the last thing I was wanting because from what I'd heard, it would basically replace my natural oxytocin and it would not allow me to experience um, all the other things that that real oxytocin does mm -hmm. like pain relief like um like kind of you know the euphoria of it mm -hmm. um which was what i was most excited for for birth they mm -hmm. break my water which for weeks afterwards made me cry whenever i said it like just this it wasn't a difficult or painful process but something about it was very symbolic of like of like actually completely finally giving in to this thing I'd been resisting mm -hmm. and losing that opportunity for just one more thing that my body didn't get to do naturally. They put me on a magnesium drip because of the preeclampsia. Um, I'm on monitors and I'm on Pitocin. Um, this is like completely backwards from what I'd expected. The contractions start um, and I'm actually able to ride them at first. It's almost kind of fun. It's like surfing. I'm breathing steadily and and every bit of um I'm relaxing every bit of my body as I feel them build and this is like techniques I'd I'd heard about I'd, I'd been looking into like pain-free birth and stuff and this idea of just relaxing into the tension um it was actually working so I wasn't feeling pain or fear I was just trying to keep the rhythm um but I can't walk or talk or get into any positions besides laying on my back because it's so intense mm -hmm. that if I like tense a single muscle, then my whole body goes tense. So I'm having to just like lay there and get my husband to bring me cold cloths and just like focus everything I have on relaxing my body, but it's working, but I'm like, but I'm like this far away from it, not working. Mm -hmm. um, the contractions start getting closer and stronger and faster really sudden, really soon. Mm -hmm. um the nurse is there with her clipboard just observing and it's kind of like this mad scientist thing where she's got me on the drip and she's you know she's right raising it or lowering it depending on what she sees and I and I I can't trust it fully because if it was my body I feel like I could trust it but because it's someone it's like a human a fallible human controlling it um it's a very different feeling mm -hmm. um but at the same time, I'm feeling the ancestors and the guides and all of my animal friends and all of my people in the room with me. Mm -hmm. um, I get in the bath and that's not good. <laughs> I think I kind of started hitting transition then. Um, I just like had this, I just had this panic sense in my body of like what's happening. I couldn't find any anything that felt comfortable. I was losing my grip, I get out of bed. I'm like too in it to get any clothes on. So I'm naked, I'm on the bed and I, it just starts coming. Like I'm just, I'm roaring and howling and mm -hmm. the contractions are getting really fast. And all this time I'm like perfectly conscious of everything that's going on in the room. I can see the numbers on the oxytocin drip. Like I can speak conversationally between, like I'm not getting removed to another place. I'm still in that room. I'm just having this like extreme experience um, while like fully consciously present. Um, very quickly, I'm at 10 centimeters and my body's just like going. Um, I'm pushing. 
I end up on the floor with my head like I'm like hands and knees head stuck into like the wheel apparatus of the of the hospital bed um I'm a very calm person with a very high pain tolerance so I always just sort of thought I'd be one of those people who like didn't make a lot of noise when birthing but like that was not the case um it was it was intense it was wild um at this point the doctor finally comes in and he's like, okay, so pushing phase often, like the average is about two and a half hours. And I'm like, what? No way. Like, no way am I doing two and a half hours of this. No, 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 no. I'm Why like, would that man say that to you while you were about to do that? Wow. Cruel. I know. I know. And I'm like, but all those stories of people being like, oh, and she came out in four pushes. I'm like, that's, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. But I wasn't doing that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no, like, screw that. Uh, my baby's going to be born by 3am. It was like 2.30 at that point. Um, I had, I had asked the doctor to like not coach me, but he started coaching me anyway. And I just like, you know what? I'll just do what he says because I don't know what I'm doing. Like I haven't given birth before because um, I really wanted to feel like the fetal ejection reflex and I wanted to, but at this point, you know, like all bets are off. Like I'm, I'm on Pitocin, like who, I don't know what's going on. I can't trust any of it. Like I'll just do what they say. So I started pushing the way he says to push, which works. Um, it did result in a giant tear, but um got the baby out fast mm -hmm. <laughs> I've got my husband behind me who's such a champ he was there the whole time and he's like he's like on the floor looking up trying to see the head I'm like a little privacy here <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm like feeling the head but of course it's going back in and um one of my friends had told me don't be afraid to break mm -hmm. And I don't really, I didn't really know what it meant, but I knew it was important. And I just kept like, it was like a mantra to me, to myself, like, just stop, don't hold, like, don't hold yourself together. Let yourself break open to have, bring this baby out. And finally the head pops out. There's a cough. Then the body follows. He starts crying immediately. Um, my husband catches him. They hand me the baby through my legs. They get me onto the bed. Um, it's 3.09. So I was right minus nine minutes. Um, mm -hmm. The placenta comes uh, really suddenly. The whole thing took four hours. Mm -hmm. um, I have a second degree tear and I get stitches. Baby's nine pounds, 11 with a like 14 and a half inch head. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a boy. Mm -hmm. We named him Kumazo for my great grandfather who is... Um, my from my Japanese side who came um in the early 1900s over to Canada baby's completely healthy there's something about like the fetal monitors I was really not happy about but once you're in that situation having that little steady rhythm just like having that baby with me the whole way through there was something to that that was really helpful and I'd done the whole thing without pain medication, which I didn't do out of a point of pride because at that point I'm like, nothing's natural anymore, like, like whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but, but I couldn't stop long enough to even consider. It didn't occur to me because I was so focused on staying with these contractions. Um, I didn't experience pain, I would say. I wouldn't call it pain. But I... But the word that came to me was still brutal. Mm -hmm. It was brutal, but it wasn't painful and it wasn't horrific. Um, I was, like I said, fully present the whole time. Um, and yeah, like it was, it was not, <laughs> it wasn't what I'd hoped for, but it was really, really interesting and really wild and really powerful the nurses said they'd never seen anyone on pitocin go without pain meds so that was kind of like you know a good little ego boost that i needed at that point mm -hmm. um the doctor actually came in to congratulate me and he held my hand and he was like you know you really committed to this process that you didn't want and this huge change in plans and 
and I'm really impressed. You did really good. And um, they told my midwives I was a badass. So that was nice. Mm-hmm. I got my golden hour. I didn't really feel anything. And I, and I attribute this to just having all that oxytocin replaced and, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, just not, I didn't have all the flush of bonding hormones and everything, but I just went through the motions and, um, and trusted that it would, it would all come right eventually, which mm-hmm. it has. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did lose a bunch of blood and I did need to stay for observation. Um, but my blood pressure got back to normal and, uh, and yeah, my baby was, was perfectly fine. So in the end, I felt like the process was about committing and leaning in no matter how afraid I was and not about fighting something, which I kind of got caught up in, in the middle of that. I was surrounded by help and love and support and um, I used all the resources I had to empower myself. I was privileged to be in a healthcare system um, that I didn't have to pay for. Um, I was able to afford consultants um, and private practitioners. I was able to know my own worth and command the respect um, that I needed and advocate for myself. Mm-hmm. And I got the best possible outcome of a really shitty situation. Um, quick birth, no pain meds, vaginal delivery, healthy baby, and mm-hmm. I was okay. But I've been really haunted by the rates of induction and knowing that I am ex- I have, I'm an exceptional situation to have all of those resources and all of that privilege mm-hmm. and all of that help and support and expertise like most people don't have that let alone Mm -hmm. the majority of women like in this region um and knowing how many people are induced and knowing how many people face this without like this army of love and help um is really really disturbing to me and um yeah I feel like like most things in my life, I don't get like these clear cut and dry, like, and this is the answer, but I have this immense mix of gratitude, um, gratitude for the medical team who turned out to be awesome, um, for my, for Canadian healthcare, for the availability of this, like totally wild, mad scientist biohackery. Like, can we just have a moment of awe for these crazy interventions that like, mm-hmm that they can do them at all that they can do them safely when needed is extraordinary Mm -hmm. but also like we're playing with fire yeah and you know as most people listening know these procedures are overused at an alarming rate Mm -hmm. um did i even need it i don't get to know like why don't we have better information about these conditions why don't we have a more nuanced decision tree (laughs) where is the give in in both systems like I thought it was black and white, either, either the evil medical system wins or natural birth wins. But instead, I, I had to use the knowledge and trust of the body to wait long enough so that the induction would actually work with a medical team that just like randomly on shift happened to be perfect and awesome, who gave me space. And, and I was able to ride out this intense and brutal process without a lot of trauma or damage. Um, and yet, like, why did I feel fear and shame when I found myself in a medical system? And and where did that, like, black and white thinking come from? So, yeah, like, a lot of things that I find myself in, it's about, like, holding all the pieces at once and and finding, finding my way through um, rather than, like, falling into this, like, either or black, white, evil, good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's, it's a thin edge of the blade. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a dance that is terrifying the whole way through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's no way to, to relax into it. Um, but I guess that's where transformation and growth is, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. this is, I had a, another chat with Margot afterwards and we were talking about how like 
no birth ever goes the way anyone plans and and it's absurd that we would ever think it could and yet we do (laughs) (laughs) because I guess there's just that like human need for some kind of control like just thinking that thinking that we have it under control Mm. um but yeah that was that was my birth and my baby's now six weeks old and fat and happy and healthy and wonderful Mm. and uh yeah I'm still in complete awe that we did that yeah and yeah Mm. Wow, Kezia, thank you so much. I, I'm genuinely so grateful for you um, for allowing me to record you today um, and share your story. I'm so, so honored and so and it's such a privilege to, to meet you and to and to um, and to record you and to just hear your story. Even it's very I, I see I. <laughs> I, I, I usually don't like to talk about myself. I, I see so many parallels with my story and it's um it's it's grateful to know that there are other women um that have walked that same road. Um and it's also uh, and there's a lot of solace in it and um and you know there's a lot of medicine in in especially in the story is that like it didn't go as like we had pictured and this like you know it 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 didn't necessarily go as planned and you know it is like Margot said like nothing goes as planned but you know even for you know sometimes the things that we you know we think that maybe oh like one little thing might might not go as planned not a whole you know complete shift in what we had you know so hoped and desired but through that shift we find so much strength and so much grace and you know it's it's a really it's a really beautiful thing and it's you know it's it's a constant teacher that at least I can say for me in my life I unpeel the layers like year by year and it's like, oh, well, I, I fucking did that. You know, I did something so scary. <laughs> and so like, you know, so what, what completely terrified me, um, and I stepped into, I stepped into the lion's den and I, and I rocked it and, you know, you, you did the same, my dear. And I am, and, you know, again, I'm so grateful for you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I can't say that enough. Thank you so much. You are wonderful. And I'm so appreciative for you for being here today. Um, and as is tradition, is there any last parting words of wisdom that you would like to leave our listeners with today? Yeah, thank you, Jaden. It means so much to me um, that, you know, I when I came out of there the next day, I said, you know, if if anyone else, if one other woman can have a better birth, if I share this, then it's worth it. Um, Yeah, I think last words are just to trust more than yourself, trust the process. I don't think every, everything turns out as well as it did for me, but even that is part of something bigger. And it was only when I got to that place that I could actually let go enough to actually ride it all out and create a safe experience for my baby. But every moment I had before that, trying to trick myself into that kind of trust wasn't working. I think there's just this place that any woman who's birthed can probably relate to of utter surrender. And you don't get there by trying. (laughs) You get there because you have to. And yeah, I just, um, I'm just sending love out to anyone who has to face these decisions and, um, and letting them know you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. You, you definitely can. You absolutely can. And amen to that. Thank you so much, Kezia. So great to have you here. Thank you so, 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 so much. Thanks so much for having me. It was really beautiful. Thank you so much for listening. 
Storytelling is a profound agent of change, one that has the ability to plant seeds of inspiration, introspection, and beyond. If you have an empowering birth story that you would like to share on our podcast, please head over to IndieBirth.org forward slash birth warrior to send your submissions. That's IndieBirth.org forward slash birth warrior. Hope you have a beautiful week wherever you are in the world. Until next time, friends.